Uh, with great joy, I come before you all today. It's a blessing for me to serve you. As he said, my name is Paul. Uh, suffice to know I am a sinner saved by grace. And this grace has been given to me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. I may not know all of you, uh, but we all know him. And the task is given to me to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. So join me in a word of prayer and we'll open up God's word. Father God in heaven, we come to you confidently and boldly through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are the eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, infinite God who has revealed yourself to us generally in creation, especially in your word and fully and finally in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the work of the Holy Spirit who has removed our stony hearts and given us hearts of flesh, eyes to see the glory of Christ in the gospel, ears to hear the beautiful truth presented to us in the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all of the riches that we have received by faith alone in Christ Jesus. I pray, Heavenly Father, for these precious people and myself as we endeavor now to open up your word. Holy Spirit, may you illuminate our hearts and minds that we may understand your word, that we may not only learn it, but love it and live it out in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would make clear the glory of Jesus Christ, exalt Christ by way of your word, I pray, Lord, for those that do not know him, uh, your Holy Spirit would draw and open their eyes today. And I pray for all the saints that they would be more greatly conformed into the image of Jesus Christ and encouraged in our Savior, who is eternally worthy of our rejoicing. Bless the reading, the preaching, the hearing, and the applying of your word by the Spirit, for the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, is, will be our focus today. Please turn there with me. Hebrews 7, verse 25, the text reads, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So reads the word of the living God. You may be seated. Indeed, the last calendar year, I'm sure, has been one to remember for everyone. Just generally speaking, I can highlight the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the lockdowns we all experienced, far too much Zoom, 
far too many masks, political division, racial tension, difficulty in the church, obstacles to simply meeting as a church, and that's just wide scale. I'm sure each of you could tell of personal struggles, turmoils, tragedies, whether emotionally, spiritually, physically, or relationally, or even mentally. I'm sure many of us could highlight some triumphs, for sure. God has been good amidst all of this. But the point is, is that recent days have been very full days. But it's Hebrews that tells us in chapter 13, verse 7, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And through it all, we have to believe, trust, and know that. And such a year should move us to not only remember why Jesus came, but to ask the question, what is Jesus doing now? Because we serve a risen Lord and Savior who is alive at this very moment as our living hope through it all. In one sense, though, there's many ways we can answer the question, what is Jesus doing now? Because Jesus, as God, is infinite, limitless, all-powerful, and sovereign over everything. When he does one things, he does a thousand things, infinite things. But the Bible is clear that one thing that Jesus is doing right now is interceding for his people. In other words, Jesus is petitioning for his own as our great high priest. Simply put, Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is praying for Christians. He is praying for you and for me, my brother and sister in Christ. And we rightly and often focus on our initial salvation, such as total forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation, adoption, justification by faith. The fact that by grace, through faith, God declares us righteous in the court of heaven. Jesus bore our sin, took our punishment on the cross, and now God grants, imputes, and, uh, and accredits his perfection, his righteousness, and his holiness to us. God sees us as he sees Christ when we embrace him by faith. We often focus and meditate upon beautiful truth, such as justification by faith. Yet, we should acknowledge that beautiful gospel truth, like justification by faith, is linked to what Jesus did in the past. Intercession is tied to what Jesus is doing in the present. His moment by moment applying afresh all of his saving work to us with the Father. Jesus' intercession is similar to but so much more than a parent interceding to a teacher on behalf of their child struggling in school, whether behavior-wise or grade-wise. It's, it's similar to, but so much more than a sports agent speaking to a franchise on behalf of his client. Jesus' intercession is him at the right hand of God the Father, 
praying on our behalf. And he prays for us as the only mediator and advocate that we need by appealing to his righteous life, his sacrificial substitutionary death, his victorious and vindicating resurrection. He intercedes for us on the basis of his saving work, not our merits, nor the merits of anyone else. And the Father gladly agrees. The truth of the ongoing intercession of Christ doesn't mean that God the Father is reluctant to embrace us. He's the one who in love gave and sent the Son to be our Savior, who ordained him as our great high priest, and he's overjoyed to say yes to Jesus' appealing on our behalf. So what is Jesus doing now? Hebrews 7 verse 25 beautifully answers this question, along with reminding us why he came. And I'm praying that it's to the nourishment, comfort of your soul, propelling you forward. Our central truth today is that Hebrews 7.25 calls Christians to confident assurance because Jesus saves completely and prays constantly for his own. This text calls us to confident assurance because Jesus saves completely and prays constantly for his own. We'll look at this one verse in two parts, with the first heading being, Why Jesus Came. Why Jesus Came. <clears throat> the first portion of verse 25 reads, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. This word, consequently, is a loaded one. So far in the, book of in, in the book of Hebrews, the author has labored to show Jesus as superior, to make plain that Jesus is better, we can say, uh, better than anything and everything, better than Moses, uh, better than animal sacrifices, and it's because Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, he tells us in chapter 1. Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father because his sacrificial work is complete. It's finished and all-sufficient. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Aaron. Jesus is better than the Old Testament Levitical priests. Jesus is better in the great and final high priest. A priest is a minister who represented people before God as a mediator and acted on their behalf in relation to God by animal sacrifices and intercessory prayers. That's what the priest did in the, in the nation of Israel. But Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is the better and final high priest because he's given the final sacrifice for sin in himself and he'll never die again. So his priesthood on our behalf continues forever by way of the new and better covenant. Jesus helps us, having been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses and deals with us gently because he has appeased and satisfied the wrath of God, 
having absorbed it himself and thus turning it away from us, Jesus is better and best. He's forever alive in all that we need. That's a lot. But it's a lot because I'm summarizing all that's been said thus far and why that word consequently in verse 25 is so important. So consequently, or we can say therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Jesus is able to save, the text tells us. Jesus is right now continually, always, and unceasingly able to save sinners. If you can allow me a sentence of bad grammar, Jesus is never not able to save sinners, is what the text is telling us here. He is able to save. He's the only one capable, suitable, and sufficient. The only one qualified to save us. You cannot save yourself. Your grandmother or your mom who's always praying cannot save you. The saints can't save you. Buddha, Muhammad, nor any religious figure can save you. They are dead. Jesus is alive. He alone can save as truly God and therefore the perfect sacrifice and truly man, therefore the perfect substitute and savior for sinners like us. And I would argue implicitly, this is not only telling us that Jesus is able to save, but that he's also willing to save. Jesus is willing and able to save. I'm here today with my uh, little sister. She is visiting for the weekend, uh, coming down from L.A. area where I grew up. And when we were younger, uh, I remember all of our cousins were over our house. And we were very excited to go to the apartment pool that, um, where we lived. And in our eagerness, um, in our foolish eagerness, I should add, uh, we ran in front of our moms, respectively, uh, to get to the pool. Now, I know, even in running to the pool and getting there before our parents, that doesn't mean that I'm going to get in the pool, because at that point, I was four or five years old, and I needed my floaties. But my sister, Perry, of us two, she's always been the more fearless one, uh, more eager for a thrill and adventure. So Perry, at barely one years old, as we get into the pool, and unusually so on this day, the gate was open for some reason, uh, we get into the pool and Perry jumps in, the, jumps into the deep end of the pool. And I remember that. Though I was a little guy, I remember being at a complete standstill and absolutely terrified, um, paralyzed, just looking at my sister. And I remember thinking, I can't jump in because I can't swim. And that would make for just two of us now drowning and fighting to stay above water. I was willing to save her, but I was not able but in a few seconds, I'll never forget this either, this woman that we didn't even know jumped in the pool and saved my sister. She seen the need and was willing and able to save her. 
And it was actually to her detriment. She just had surgery in her stomach. But in an infinitely greater way, Jesus seen our need in our deadness of sins and trespasses, and he was willing and able to save us, to rescue us through living the righteous life that we have not and refuse to live by dying the substitutionary, sacrificial death, drinking the wrath, accepting the cup of the wrath of God in our place, Jesus was willing and able to save us. And right now, Jesus is continually willing and able to save us. This is why he came. And this is why we celebrate as Christians. And this is why, if you haven't, you must today repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of any notion that you can earn your way to God, that your good works will equate to his perfection. Repent of the sins that have dominated your life and turn to the Lord Jesus in faith. He calls you to repent because he will receive you when you, when, when you believe upon him. He came to save. He's willing and able to save you, to bring about forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God, Jesus is ready to receive and to rescue sinners. John Owen, the classic Puritan of old, said this, we need to know that Christ is both willing and able to help us and to meet all our needs. We may well ask, what will Christ not do for us? He who emptied and humbled himself who came down from the infinite heights of his glory to take our human nature into union with his divine nature, will he not meet all our needs and answer according to his wisdom all our prayers for help? Will he not do all that is necessary for us to be eternally saved? Will he not be a sanctuary for us? Christ is indeed most willing and able to help us and save us, end quote. This is why he came. He is willing and able to save us. Jesus said himself that for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Or I did not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Or I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Or as Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, the statement is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The beloved holiday of Christmas tells us that the only one who was able to save us was willing to do so. And so he was born and so he came. Jesus is willing and able to save. But notice, the text doesn't stop at save. It says he is able to save to the uttermost. To the uttermost. And that's a unique word and phrase that's not often used in our culture and context, but it's full with meaning. Commentators have said to the uttermost denotes comprehensiveness, completeness, exhaustive wholeness, and with reference to time, forever to the end. 
So in other words, Jesus is willing, is willing and able to save to the uttermost, meaning Jesus saves completely, totally, perfectly, and eternally. Jesus saves to the uttermost, completely and eternally. Yes. About five years ago, I graduated from San Diego State, where I actually uh, played football there. And in going to college and playing football, I was offered and rewarded with a full-ride scholarship, uh, which meant school was completely 100% paid for for the whole time that I was there. We can say it was a scholarship to the uttermost. But there's other sports that give partial scholarships, meaning they pay for some, but you have to work or get loans or go into debt. Just figure out how you're going to pay for the rest. The partial scholarship is a scholarship not to the uttermost. But Jesus is a to the uttermost savior, a full scholarship savior, fully paid for the whole way, full ride. The text doesn't say Jesus is able to save for the most part. Then you have to work. Then you have to feel guilty enough. Then you have to be righteous enough. No, it says Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. Not then you have to go to purgatory to work the rest of your sins off. No, he's able to save to the uttermost. Completely, totally, perfectly, and eternally. He is not a partial savior, but a to the uttermost savior he will not lose us and we cannot lose him and this is good news because i am and you are a to the uttermost sinner completely totally by nature and choice a sinner we need a to the uttermost savior but we have one in christ who's always willing and able to save. Jesus won't run out of gas as our Savior leaving us in our salvation stranded. Author Dane Ortland said, to the uttermost means God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch reaches down into the darkest crevices of our souls, those places where we are most ashamed and defeated. Jesus knows us to the uttermost, And he saves us to the uttermost because his heart is drawn out to us in the uttermost. And yet verse 25, this first portion at least, goes on. It says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Jesus is willing and able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him by way of him. This is not for everyone, but only those who recognize their need and their sin before the eternal holy God and draw near to him through Christ and Christ alone. This gets at the exclusivity of Jesus, that there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This gets at that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. This gets at the fact that Jesus is the only door to the way to eternal life. And he's the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. Jesus is the only way. 
And if you are to be saved to the uttermost, it means drawing near to God through him. But when you do, and when you already have, Christian, know this, he saves completely, perfectly, eternally, to the uttermost. So in view of this truth, I exhort you all to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. That's an imperative command given in Hebrews 3.1 and Hebrews 12.3. Consider Jesus, who he is and what he has done. Think deeply and greatly upon Christ. If you have an iPhone, I, I'm sure you get a screen time notification every Sunday. It's often very convicting. But could it be so that there's so much anger, anxiety, frustration, worrisome, and just sinful thinking and patterns in our life because we think too little of Jesus, our Savior who saves to the uttermost? Consider Jesus. Think deeply about him in all of his glory as our Savior. And as our great high priest, he is willing and able to save to the uttermost. Our confident assurance comes not from looking within. It comes from looking to him. Consider Jesus. He is not cold or merely tolerating us. He doesn't save us by force or just obligation. And he's not a partial savior. He's our to the uttermost savior. In your worst sins, in your worst moments, consider Jesus, consider him in all of his glory. And also this, remember that you are saved. And today you can be saved only through him. And it's through Christ and through Christ alone. It's not by any prayers or merits of saints or any works of your own. It's Christ alone and he is all sufficient. All that we need and all that we have. But also, I exhort you to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He came willing and able to save us, but he invites us to come. Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And in John 6, 37, he says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And the call to come to Christ is not only for non-believers, it's for believers. We must come to Christ daily. He meets our needs. He answers our prayers. He keeps us. We must come to him. For he is our confident assurance. And believer, just, just be encouraged to stop thinking that you add anything to your salvation. Jesus is our savior to the uttermost. As Philippians 3.3 puts it, Glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Look not to your feelings nor your performance, but the outside of yourself to Christ who saves to the uttermost. He is all sufficient. Consider Christ and come to Christ today in the rest of your days. Remembering that Hebrews 7 calls Christians to confident assurance because Jesus saves completely. And praise constantly for his own. We've seen why Jesus came in the first portion of this verse. Now we look at the latter half, what Jesus is doing now. 
text reads, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus' present intercession is presented in Scripture and here as the explicit reason why he is able to save to the uttermost. As our great high priest, Jesus represents us in the presence of God, and he speaks on our behalf, and he's presently praying for us on the basis of his righteous life, his death, and his victorious resurrection. I can put it like this, in the court of heaven, Christian, you do not represent yourself like a criminal without enough money to have a lawyer. Jesus does that for you, child of God. He's our mediator. He's our advocate. He's our champion. He's our shepherd who never fails. And notice in verse 25, it says, he always lives to make intercession. Always. That includes this present moment in in every single moment. It means at all times. Jesus is continually and constantly making intercession for us in your good and fruitful times for sure, but in your worst times, most certainly, in your most heartbreaking sins, in the moments of the worst relational strife and failure, in the toughest temptations, in the deepest despair, the darkness of doubt, shame, anxiety, panic attacks, when you feel like the world is closing in on you, in the constant fight against sin, he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus always lives to do this, to pray and to intercede for his sheep. Jesus is the resurrected Lord who died and is alive forevermore. And this is what he's doing right now for you who have come to follow him. Jesus is not only for us back then, thinking back to his life and the cross and his resurrection, but he ascended and he's for us right now in his intercession. This is the loveliness of his heart. This is the consistency of Jesus' care for us. Years ago, uh, there was just big rage around the concept of love languages. Um, knowing how you give and how you receive love, and the same for loved ones. There's words of affirmation, acts of service, physical touch, gifts, quality time, all great and nice things. But a moment of spiritualization. I never feel more loved personally than when I know someone is praying for me to the God of the universe because I know how deeply I need it. But it's unspeakably consoling to know that the Son of God, Jesus, right now is praying for me. And all my flaws, all my faults, all my failures in redeeming and transforming love, this is what he's doing right now for us saints. This is the Jesus we serve and celebrate. He who always lives to make intercession for his sheep. 
And the reason behind this is that we need it. We wouldn't persevere without it. This is our good shepherd holding us fast, not letting our faith fail even when we fail because he always lives to make intercession for us. Dane Ortland said again, Christ continues to intercede on our behalf in heaven because we continue to fail on earth. He does not forgive us through the cross and then hope we make it the rest of the way. The truth of the cross reassures us of what Christ has done in the past. The truth of his intercession reassures us of what he's doing in the present. And Romans 8, 34 and 35 speaks to this truth as well. It reads, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is, present tense, interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8, 34 and 35 connect Jesus' inseparable love not only to his sacrificial death, not only to his resurrection and his ascension, but to his present intercession. Jesus' inseparable love is actively and presently expressed through his intercessory prayers on our behalf. Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. On the basis of, of, of these verses, we can say by, we live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and prays for us right now. And again, to just emphasize, these intercessory prayers are on the basis of his righteous life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection. He's not weighing the scales of your life. This is about his glory, who he is and what he has done. Pastor John MacArthur said this, whenever we sin, Jesus says to the Father, put that on my account. My sacrifice has already paid for it. John Calvin said this, Jesus turns the Father's eyes to his own righteousness to avert his gaze from our sins. He so reconciles the Father's heart to us that by his intercession, he prepares a way and access for us to the Father's throne. This is why we don't fall away. This is why the Father does not reject us, and this is why we can with confidence and boldness draw near to the throne of grace, knowing that we receive mercy and find grace to help in our times of need. This is why, as Psalm 103.10 says, we can confidently know that God does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquity. This is the great assurance and security that we have in Christ. He will hold us fast. But this also shows how seriously Jesus takes our sin. He died for it. And he rose again and now he intercedes in the face of it. The intercession of Christ should embolden your repentance. It should embolden you to fight sin. 
not move you to take sin lightly because Jesus doesn't. And we'll be fighting sin unto glory. But you should do that knowing he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus, our Savior, does not allow sin to have the last word. That belongs to him because he always lives to intercession. To, to intercede for us. And no one knows this better than the Apostle Peter. Think back to Peter's life. On the night of Jesus' arrest, Jesus for sure, or Judas for sure, betrayed Jesus. But Peter had a horrible night as well. He flat out denied Jesus three times. But we know that Judas totally perished. And Peter repented and fruitfully followed Jesus all his days. Eventually, church tradition tells us he was martyred, showing that he denied Jesus no more in the face of danger. What's the difference? It wasn't that, G that Peter pulled himself up by his bootstraps and just worked harder. The difference was the same intercessory prayers of Jesus for his own that we've been talking about here in this text. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, before everything went down that night, Jesus told Peter this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prayed for Peter. So even when Peter failed greatly, his faith did not fail permanently. And likewise, when we who have drawn near to God through Christ fail, our faith will not fail, does not fail, and your faith has not failed because the founder and finisher of your faith in Jesus will not let it happen. He prays for us and there's no prayers like the prayers of Jesus. Jesus is praying for us and our faith has not failed through it all because he will not let us fail. He prays for us. The scripture finishes, says he always lives to make intercession for them. That pronoun of them is referring to the church, Christians, those who have drawn near to God through Christ. This intercession is not for everyone. It's not universal salvation or universal intercession. It's only for those who draw near to God through Christ. For those of us who have embraced Jesus and put our faith in him because he is the way, the truth, and the life. But for those of us who have come to God through Christ alone, we can look at this verse knowing our fighting the good fight, our running the race, our keeping the faith, our working out our salvation with fear and trembling because we must. It's inseparably linked to the heavenly present intercession of Jesus for he who has the power to save us has the power to keep us and he will having seen what Jesus is doing now 
by way of application, I encourage you to treasure in your mind and your heart the truth of the intercession of Jesus. We don't think about the intercession of Christ enough, but we should. He always lives to make intercession for us. In practical ways, is just to remember it. To remember that that's what Jesus is doing now. To remember when thoughts of past sin comes up. He saves to the uttermost. And he always lives to make intercession for us. In the face of temptation, Jesus is interceding for us. When you come to confess sin, remember that he is all, he's always and already interceding for you. And just when life is hard, know that he always lives to make intercession for us. There's no room for despair as long as Jesus is on the throne. Robert Murray McShay said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a thousand enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. And he is. Let this present, ongoing intercession of Jesus also drive you to prayer. Personal prayer, crying out to the Lord, pouring your heart out to God, but also, I can say this, intercessory prayer on behalf of others. Knowing that Jesus always lives to make intercession for his church should move you to want to pray for the church. To pray that he will continue to build the church. To pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. To be a vital member of the church. Truly in it. Participating. Knowing the lives of one another. And praying for each other. Praying for one another when, when, when you are with each other. And praying for one another when you are apart. In your personal prayers. The intercessory prayer of Christ should move us to prayer. Also, it should move you to, with confident assurance, just press on. Press on. My fellow brother or sister in Christ, Jesus is praying for you. Hebrews also tells us to remember the saints of old and to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and to run with endurance the race set before you, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of your faith. For every one look at yourself, you should be taking 10 looks at Christ who saves completely and prays constantly until we see him face to face. We can have confident assurance because Jesus saves completely and prays constantly for his own. That's what Hebrews 7.25 sets before us. This is why he came and it's what he's doing now. And we have in Scripture an actual high priestly prayer of Jesus, we can say. In John 17, his prayer, the true Lord's prayer, before his arrest. And his last request is in John 17, verse 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also, speaking of the church whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory. That you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Jesus wants us to be with him, to see his glory. And he's going to get us there. Because he saves completely and prays constantly for his own.
Let's pray. Father God in heaven, uh, with confidence in Christ, with joy in Jesus, uh, we pray to you. And we pray with grateful hearts, grateful hearts for the all-sufficient Savior we have in Christ. We are thankful, Lord, that Jesus saves to the uttermost. Because, God, we are great sinners, but Jesus is a greater Savior who will keep us and who will bring us to himself. And I thank you that in that is his essential intercessory prayers for us. What a mediator, what an advocate, what a high priest we have in Christ. What beauty it is to know that his love, his inseparable love, is expressed right now in his intercessory prayers for us. Let this revive our souls. Let this rejoice our hearts. Let this help us to move with wisdom in the fear of the Lord. Let this aid us to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. May the Spirit work through his word in our hearts and lives. In the name of Christ.